Okay, I'm going to let you in on a little secret this morning. The Bible actually says that God doesn't exist. It's true. There's a verse buried deep in the Old Testament. It's like tucked away in a part that like nobody ever reads. And it says very explicitly, there is no God. It's true. Psalm 14.1, you can pull out your Bible and look it up right now if you want to. Psalm 14.1 says, there is no God. I can't believe people don't talk about this. <laughs> like, seriously, it's been there the whole time and we had no idea? How did it get in there? Um, I, I kind of imagine that somewhere in the ancient past, there was a scribe and he was like, you know, all this religion stuff is baloney, right? Like I get paid to write copies of the Bible, but I don't believe any of it. I can't believe anybody believes any of it. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to write the truth in the Bible. I'm going to tuck it away. I'm going to hide it deep in there so that if anybody happens to read the Bible, which most people don't, they'll discover the truth. I'm serious. You guys, this is a scandal. Psalm 14, one says there is no God. But as we talked about last week, you can't understand a text without its context. And when we read the context of Psalm 14, one, do you know what that verse actually says? Only a fool says there is no God. (laughs) Well, that kind of changes things a little bit, doesn't it? The context matters. Can I read to you another passage from the Bible that's often quoted, completely divorced from its context? Here it is. Ephesians chapter number five. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Okay, reading this passage out of its context, just ripping that section of scripture up and holding it up as, you know, some sort of standard, it has caused untold damage to people over the centuries. There are women who have rejected Jesus outright because they see a passage like this and they say, I could never accept a savior whose word is so oppressive and misogynistic. There are men who have wielded this passage like a club against the women and wives in their life. And and they've used it to force submission and to demand obedience, even to demean and abuse their wives in the name of Jesus, using the word of Jesus. It's been very frustrating to me to see how the church and people outside of the church have misunderstood this text throughout the centuries. So in this final message of our He Made Them series, What I want to do is I want to talk to you about the biblical concept of submission because it's in there and the scriptures do say that wives should submit to their husbands, but it says a lot more than that. And what I'm afraid of is that a lot of people hear the word submission in the modern world and like, Ooh, no, we don't like that. That's old fashioned and it's abusive and oppressive. So like, we just need to get rid of the concept altogether. And I'm afraid that we so misunderstand what the scriptures actually mean when they talk about submitting to one another, that we miss out on the blessing that God actually has in store rather than the, the, the biblical picture of marriage, making you like cringe. It should make you feel blessed. 
I think when you truly understand what God's word communicates, you would be like, yes, that please. I'll have a marriage like that. Okay. So let's do this. Let's read Ephesians chapter number five, this very famous, somewhat controversial passage. Let's read the entire context, not just the verses lifted out of the middle. Let's go all the way back to verse number 15. So Ephesians five, we're going to read verses 15 through 18. I'll kind of remind you like we did last week. The guy who wrote this passage is named Paul. Paul was a missionary and a church planter. He started a church in the ancient city of Ephesus. And then a few years later, he wrote a letter to the Ephesians. And he said, hey, here's how I'm doing. Let me give you some more instructions for your church and about God and those sorts of things. Uh, The church in Ephesus is still present today. It's in modern Turkey. You can go to Ephesus and visit the ruins of this exact church that Paul writes this letter to. So he says in verse number 15, be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but live like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Paul's dramatic here. What he means is it'll cause you to do things that'll ruin your life. We'll talk about that in a sec. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts and give thanks for everything to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And here's the passage for wives. This means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. And as the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be without uh, she will be holy and without fault. So in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. Okay, so that's the broader context here of this passage that tells women to submit to their husbands. And I want you to notice Paul starts out by telling the Ephesians, listen, don't be dumb, please. Don't live like fools in the world. God has given you a limited amount of time here on this earth. Make the most of it. Don't waste it. Don't follow after the ways of the world, which often leave you empty and and vacuous. Instead, live wisely. So he starts by telling them, don't be foolish. And he gives them a couple of illustrations or examples of what it means to be foolish. One of the ones that he cites there in uh, verse number 18 is to not live a life that is controlled by substances like alcohol or drugs, right? He's not saying that all drinking is wrong, but what he's saying is drunkenness is wrong. Getting high is probably not a good thing for a Christian. Why? Because when you ingest these substances, if you fill yourself up with wine, you will find yourself thinking and saying and doing things that you would not have done if you hadn't filled yourself with wine. Are you following me? So he says, don't be controlled by substances like wine. Instead, he says, be filled with the spirit. And this phrase, be filled with the spirit, this is the primary point 
of everything he says in Ephesians chapter number five. This is the one thing that you're supposed to hone in on. You're supposed to mark and start to apply to your life. This is the big flashing bottom line for him in this passage. Instead of allowing external substances to control you, let yourself be filled by the Holy Spirit. And in the same way, when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you will say and think and do things that you would not have been able to do on your own if you were not filled with the Holy Spirit. Are you with me? Okay. So he says, be filled with the spirit. What he's going to do is he's going to, in the next section, he's going to double click on that, on that phrase, be filled with the Holy spirit. And he's going to expand what it looks like to be filled with the spirit. You ever gone to a website and they have like one of those little drop down menus, you know, it's like, there's a single line of text, but if you want to know more, you click the arrow and it expands and suddenly you get to read more detail. That's exactly what he's going on. What he's doing here in, uh, in verse 18, he says, be filled with the spirit. What does it mean to be filled by the spirit? Double click. Let's look at verse number 19. He starts to use a bunch of ing words after this. We call these participles, all right? He uses a bunch of ing words and he says, if you are filled with the spirit, you're gonna do things like speaking psalms and hymns. You're gonna speak the word of God. He says, you're going to, he said, you'll be making music in your heart, making music. Now I'm not a very musical person. Okay. I'm married to a musical girl though. And very often she'll just be walking around the house, singing, making up songs. I make up songs too, but they're stupid songs about the dogs or the cowboys or whatever. Right. She's doing the scripture says when you are filled with the spirit, walking in the spirit every day, you will be singing worship songs just spontaneously. They'll come out of you. So you'll speak the word. You'll make music in your heart. Verse, uh, verse 19, he says, you'll be, or verse 20, rather, you'll be giving thanks to God for all of your blessings. And then in verse 21, he says, when you are filled with the spirit, you will be submitting yourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ. So you understand he starts by saying, be filled with the spirit. And as examples of what people who are filled with the spirit do, he says, speaking songs, making music, thanking God and submitting to one another. Now he knows there are going to be a lot of us who are like, now about that submitting thing. I'd like a little more information about that. And so Paul says, okay, let's double click on it. So he double clicks on submitting. And over the next two chapters of the last half of chapter five and the majority of chapter number six, He's going to explain what it looks like for Christians to submit to one another, particularly in the context of a first century household. So in the first century household, there were generally three types of relationships or power dynamics. There was husband and wife relationships. There were parent child relationships. And then there were master servant or master slave relationships. The first century had household slavery. It's a little bit different than the chattel slavery that we had here in North America in the 1800s, but it was still slavery. It was a form of indentured servitude. And so in chapter number six, Paul talks about what it looks like submission for masters and servants and uh, parents and children. And here in verse number five, he's going to talk about what submission looks like between a husband and a wife. Okay. So how do we know? How do we know this, that submitting to one another and everything that comes after it is like an example or an expanded teaching of what it looks like to submit to one another? Well, first, um, we know that if we if we look at the way this is written in Greek, I'm not going to put the Greek on the screen because we wouldn't be able to read it anyway. But let me show you the literal translation of Ephesians 5.22. Okay, let's put it here on the screen. Literally, 5.21 says submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives to your husbands as the Lord. 
Husbands, loving your wives later in verse 25. Okay, do you notice anything? Any grammar nerds in the room right now? Do you notice anything about verse 22? There's no verb. Like it's not a complete sentence. Paul, uh, this is like a big command and Christians have made a huge deal out of this. It's like verse 22 says, wives, submit yourselves unto your husband. Except when you go to the Greek, the verb submit is not even in the verse. What is, what's going on here? So what does Paul mean? What does he mean when he says wives to your husbands as to the Lord? Well, because there's no verb in verse number 22, we have to borrow the verb from verse 21. That's why in the NLT, the version that we read a moment ago, it starts this verse by saying, so wives for you, this means da, 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 right? It's like saying, here's the, the outworking or the practical application of what I just told you in verse 21, that all of you, each of you are supposed to be submitting to one another out of your love or reverence for Christ. Okay. Then we notice, I mentioned there in verse 25, when he starts addressing husbands in Ephesians five, he uses the same ing phrasing for everything. So we get to that passage that says, husbands, love your wives. In Greek, it literally says, husbands, loving your wives as Christ loved the church. So the fact that he's using multiple ing words in a row like this, what that tells us is this is all the same literary unit. It, we're, we can't separate these things out from one another and still understand it. We have to understand it as one big chunk of teaching together. Otherwise, we're going to get really, really confused. All right. So when Paul talks about submission, I want you to notice he doesn't start with saying women submit to men. He doesn't start there. In fact, this has been an unfortunate thing that's happened with this particular verse. This verse has been like changed a little bit and Christians throughout the centuries have said, see right there, Paul says women are supposed to submit to men, except that's not what he's talking about in context. Even the most conservative and traditional reading is not that all women are supposed to be in subjection to all men. The most conservative understanding of what he's saying here is women or wives rather are uh, supposed to submit to their husbands. Are you with me? But he doesn't even start by talking about wives and husbands. Verse 21 begins with a command. All of you, each of you, every Christian submitting to one another out of your reverence for Christ. So let me ask you, just based on verse 21, don't go to verse 22 yet, just based on verse 21, is there ender, any gender qualifications here in verse 21? No, it doesn't say, okay, now what I mean is men don't submit to your women, but women submit to your men. He doesn't say anything like that. He uses a plural, a second person masculine. It's like all of you need to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. He is calling every single Christian to live a life of submission. You follow me? This isn't the only place or circumstance in which Christians are called to submit. I don't know if you know this or not. In James chapter number four, verse seven, the Bible tells us to submit ourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We're called to submit to God. Guys, like submitting is a basic foundational part of following Jesus. Are you with me? Like you have to submit to God in order to be a Christian. Okay, so submitting is not just for women, it's for all believers. In Romans 13, one, we're told to submit to the civil rulers. That is the government that exists wherever we might be because all authority has ultimately been instituted by God. Wait, even if the civil rulers suck? Yeah. Wait, even if the wrong party is in power? Yep. 
Do you understand? Paul wrote this verse, submit yourselves unto the rulers because they've all been ordained by God. He wrote this to Christians who were living under persecution by the Roman Caesars. Like, do you understand in, in the days that Romans was written, the Caesars would round up Christians they would throw them into the middle of the Colosseum and make them fight lions and tigers with their bare hands. Who won the lions and tigers? Like Christians were literally mauled for the entertainment of the city at large. There was one Caesar who was very famous and he would throw dinner parties, invite over all the rich and wealthy and powerful people in the city of Rome. They would come into the gardens in his backyard and he would take our brothers and sisters in the faith from the first century and he would tie them to poles. He would lift those poles up. He would light them on fire to provide warmth and light for his dinner parties. And it's in that context, the apostle Paul says, you're supposed to submit to the governing authorities because in the end, God's in control of it all. That's a tough one, but it's there. The scriptures are clear. We are supposed to submit to the civil authorities unless and until they call us to do something contrary to the word. First Peter five, five says we are supposed to submit ourselves to our elders, like your parents, your grandparents, your aunties and your uncles. You're supposed to submit to them. They have wisdom and experience that you don't have. They, they care for you. They're there for you. You're supposed to submit yourselves. The word is specifically used in first Peter five, five. Hey, here's one I've never preached on, but maybe I should. (laughs) Hebrews 13 seven and 17 says that you're supposed to submit to your pastors. Now I don't preach on this because that's a really self-serving verse. Okay. I could abuse that pretty easily if I wanted to. I don't want to, but I could. Here's what the passage says to Christians like you. It says, submit yourselves to those who watch over you in the Lord. Why? Because they will give an account of your soul to God. That's one of my least favorite verses in the Bible. Okay. (laughs) I do not love the idea that one day I'm going to account to God for how well you grew in your faith while you were here at the church. Cause like I try awful hard, but some of you ain't having it, (laughs) (laughs) but I knew this when I signed up, it's not like, you know, I got ordained and then later I discovered this verse. I'm like, Oh, I wish somebody had told me that I knew it was there. I knew what I was signing up for, but the way the author of Hebrews says it to the church is like, guys, could you help your pastors out, please? Like, If they give you advice, they're doing it because they love you and they want to help. They're not trying to make your life difficult. In fact, when you prosper, they're going to prosper on judgment day. So please, for the love of God, listen to what they tell you anyway. (laughs) If there's any question that submission is a requirement for every Christian, we only have to look to our savior. In Hebrews chapter number uh, five, verse eight, we're told that Christ learned obedience. That means that he purposefully chose to submit himself to the will of the father for our benefit and for our example. Jesus submitted. So why should it be surprising that the scriptures call Jesus people to submit as well? What does all this mean? Well, guys, it means that submission is a Christian virtue, not a feminine one. Christian is a, uh, rather, I'm sorry, submission is a Christian virtue. It's not a feminine virtue. I'm going to say it one more time. Cause like we really need to grab a hold of this. Submission is a Christian virtue. It's not a feminine virtue. Submission is, it's a quality that's inherent in following Christ. If you are forever unwilling to submit, you're in rebellion against the commands of God. 
Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and then don't do the things that I tell you to do? There are a lot of guys I know, and they're like, no, 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 no. Men don't submit, not real men, not alphas like me, okay? <laughs> they kind of have this attitude like, I will bow the knee to no man, like they're William Wallace or something like that, you know? And they just refuse. They won't. Why? Because they see submission as weakness. They say meekness is weakness. But the reality is meekness from a scriptural perspective is just power under control. God is not asking you to be a sissy. He's not asking you to be weak. He's not saying that you should never, ever stand up for what's right, or there's never a time to go to battle against something. There absolutely is. But what he says is you need to be able to keep your power under control, fellas. You need to be able to control when you're angry and what it is that you're angry over. The scripture says in 1 Corinthians 1.25, the weakness of God is more powerful than man's strength. You look at weakness, you look at submission, you look at a willingly dying to yourself, you look at that as a weakness that is inappropriate or unfitting for a man, but the scripture tells us God can accomplish more through some simple Weak guy who can't bench more than 115, okay? God can accomplish more through him if he is yielded to the spirit than through a guy who can bench 400, than a guy who slept with 60 women, than a guy who has the CEO title to his name, than a guy who has a perfect chiseled jawline. God can accomplish more with his weakness than any man's strength. This morning I was driving in on Deerfoot. You know, it's early in the morning. It's cold. I'm trying to get here and get my cup of coffee, all those things. And there's this guy driving. He's merging off of 32, I think. He's coming onto Deerfoot. He's carrying, pulling a big U-Haul trailer. And it's like he didn't even see that I was there. And he came quickly over into my lane. I'd slam on the brakes and swerve out of the way. It's lucky there was no other traffic there, but dude was not paying attention. And like inside of me, it was like, what, what, who are you to do this to me? And I had to repent. I had to be like, calm down, dude. It ain't that big of a deal. He just wasn't paying attention. All right. Just because you choose not to fight in this moment doesn't mean you're weak. Just relax a little bit. Christian men need to realize that submission is a virtue for them, just like it is for their wives. Now, I've known plenty of women that say, I like a lot of what Jesus has to say, I really do. But I can't do the submission thing. I will not be a doormat. I saw my mom be a doormat for 28 years with my dad, and I refused. It's not going to happen. So that whole submission thing, maybe that was appropriate in the first century, but don't ask me to submit to my husband today because it ain't going to happen. But hear me now, all of that, Both sides of that, for men and for women, fundamentally misunderstands what submission actually is. Submission is not what we think it is. When submission, when that word submit comes to mind, we think of like a UFC match. Some guy putting somebody in an arm bar and you tap out, you force them to submit, right? But when we read about submission in the scripture, that's not what it means. Scripturally speaking, the word submit or submission means to voluntarily place yourself under someone else. To voluntarily place oneself under another. It's what we call in grammar a reflexive verb. We don't really have these in English, but other languages like Spanish and some others do. A reflexive verb is something you do to yourself. 
Does that make sense? It's not something that somebody else does to you. It is something you choose to do for yourself. Submission is that kind of word in the scripture. You voluntarily choose to put yourself under someone else. What that means is forced submission is a contradiction in terms. Any man that ever looks at his wife and says, woman, you better submit. I'm going to make you submit. You can't. You can't. You might get her to obey. You might get her to give in. You might get her to, you know, roll over and take it. But you cannot force her to submit the way that the Bible uses that word. Marriage is not a UFC fight. You can't force submission. It is something that someone has to choose for themselves. Do you know this is why in the New Testament, in all the verses about submission, there's not a single verse in the entire Bible that says, men, make sure your wives are in submission. You better make sure that they submit to you. Why? Because it can't be forced. Every verse about submission for women is directed to women because it's their choice. God gives you the agency. You can choose to submit or you can choose not to submit. It's your choice. I can't make her submit. And she can't make me submit. It is a voluntary decision to place yourself under somebody else. Maybe the clearest way to translate this is to yield or to defer. To yield or to defer. Like, maybe if if the translators of scripture just use one of those words instead, we would understand, oh, this is something you have to do. Okay? So, like, I'm driving on Deerfoot. Homie comes over into my lane. Did he make me submit to him? No, I yielded and deferred. Why? Because I could have maintained my lane. I could have. Now, I didn't want to deal with the consequences of running into this dude at 630 this morning. So I had to make the decision to move. I could have stayed there and made both of us deal with the fallout. That, but no, I yielded. I deferred. He couldn't force me. I had to choose in that moment, which way was I going to go? So it's the same when it comes to submission in a relationship. You either choose it or you don't. But nobody can force it on somebody else. And this is true for men as well. When God calls us to submit, it's not by external force or coercion. It's a posture that we take on ourselves. Notice that Ephesians 5.25 says, we submit to one another. Why? Because God commands it. He says, because I'm God. That's why I do it. No. He says, we submit to God. Why? Because God will punish you if you don't. No. It says you submit to God, or you submit to one another rather, out of your reverence, out of your honor, out of your love for Christ. How, how does Christ enable me, empower me, and justify my submission to the people who are around me? It's because when Jesus came to the earth, he actually submitted himself. He submitted to the will of the Father. He submitted to the needs of people. Do you understand? The scripture says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Like, this is what submission means, to place yourself under somebody else, to put their needs ahead of your own, to deny yourself so that you can say yes to them. That is precisely what Jesus did when he came and he died on the cross for our sins. While we were still sinners, Jesus was willing to lay down his life, to surrender, to fully submit both to God and to our needs so that we could experience salvation and a relationship with God. 
Why do we submit to one another? Because in some wild way that our brains can't fully understand, our savior actually submitted himself for us out of reverence for Christ. So if submission is placing yourself under somebody, it's voluntary, it's a choice, you do it, you can't be forced to do it, then what does that actually mean? What does it mean to place yourself under another person? Well, a helpful way of thinking about this is that one reason you would place yourself under somebody is to pick them up, to lift them, to carry them. I actually thought about doing a little illustration where I invited Amber here on the stage and I was going to lift her up, but then I just imagined her head going through the drop ceiling right here. I was like, all right, probably not a good idea. So I just want you to picture me carrying my wife around the stage today. You place yourself under, when you place yourself under somebody, you are necessarily going to prop them up a little bit. They are necessarily going to rise. One of the reasons that we would submit to one another is so that the other person can experience God's best in their life. That I will say no to what's best for me so that I can help you experience what is best for you. This is what submission ultimately is. It's not about obedience. It's not about force. It's not about guilt or coercion. It is about, I love you so much that I am willing to die to myself so that you can live and experience life overflowing. I like the way Romans 12.10 puts it. Romans 12.10 says, Christians ought to outdo one another in showing honor. So you ever been around one of those really annoying couples and they're like, I love you. And then they're like, I love you more. No, I love you more. No, I love you more. No, I love you more. And you're like, (laughs) but honest to God, this is the kind of relationship that he paints here where it's like, no, what do you want? No, where do you want to eat tonight? No, no. I want you to choose because I want you to have a great night, have the best dinner possible. Not like, I don't want to choose because I don't want to choose wrong. But it's like, no, I genuinely want you to eat where you want to eat tonight. Outdo each other in showing honor to one another. That's what submission is. I say no to me so I can say yes to you. I deny myself. I put myself under you. Rather than trying to elevate myself, rather than trying to get what's best for me, instead, I offer what's best for you. Doesn't that sound like an incredible kind of marriage? I would love, I'm glad I'm in a marriage. (laughs) Woo, that was a close one. I am so glad I am in a marriage just like that. And I believe this is what God wants for us in which both spouses are committed to lifting one another up who refuse to demand their rights, but seek the, uh, the good of the other person ahead of themselves. See, in the end, I think the promise that God makes, particularly to married couples, is that marital satisfaction is found through mutual submission. Marital satisfaction is found in mutual submission. Yeah. There have been times in Christian history where the church has taught marital satisfaction happens when wives submit to their husbands and they just ignore verse 21 from chapter five, which says, no, everybody submits to everything. Everybody submits to everyone. That means there are times in which husbands need to defer for their wives. They need to, they need to say no to themselves so they can say yes to their wives. There are times in which husbands submit to wives. There are times in which Parents have to submit to their kids. That's where Paul goes on in, in chapter number six. He said, well, uh, no, I'm sorry. Excuse me. Um, they're the kid. I'm the authority. They listen to me. I don't submit to them. They submit to me. Some of you parents are like, if only. <laughs> no, no, no. Think about what submission is. It's not forced obedience. What is submission? It is denying yourself for the good of somebody else. What other definition of parenthood is there? You, you, you deny yourself, you give up your life for 18 years for the good of that child. That is submission. 
That's literally what it means. Yes, there's a very real sense in which parents will submit to their children. Same is true when it comes to masters and slaves. In in chapter six, Paul says to, to household slaves, he says, listen, submit to your masters, submit to them, give them the respect and the honor that they're due. And then he says to the masters, don't treat your servants harshly. Instead, give them the honor and the respect that they're due. There is a time in which masters are actually going to submit to their slaves. They're not going to do what would be best for them. They're going to do what's best for God's people. Are you following what I'm saying here? Submission is a beautiful thing. It's a Christ-like virtue. It is something that should be present in every one of our lives. And God help you, if you're married, it might just be the key to unlocking this whole thing. If we had two people that were thoroughly and completely committed to seeking the good of the other person instead of their own desires and instead of their own rights in a marriage, I think you have a recipe for success. Marital satisfaction is found through mutual submission. Now, every time I teach on this subject, there are always questions and objections that get raised, okay? And I want to take a moment to address a couple of them that might pop up in your mind before we pray and close. So the first one, this is always number one, comes up multiple times every time I teach on this subject. The question is this, if Paul intended men to submit, why didn't he use the word submit in verse 25? So why didn't he say, now husbands, you also submit to your wives as you submit to Christ as the church, right? Why doesn't he use the word submit in verse 25? Remember, again, he didn't use the word submit in verse 22 when he was talking to women. He borrowed the word submit from verse 21 and he's doing the exact same thing. He's saying, men, if you want to submit to your wives, here's what it'll look like. It'll look like dying to yourself so that you can love and nourish her. That's what Christ did for us, right? Not only that, um, it's always struck me so weird. I I just don't get it. Like we read what Paul said to men, men, love your wife, love her so much that you will die to yourself. You'll, you'll kill yourself so that she can live. You'll give it all. There's no limit to your sacrifice on behalf of your wife. There is no point at which you say, nah, too far, not interested. Okay. How is that not submission? I don't understand. Like that is the definition of submission because that's what Christ did for us. Right? Not only that, this is, this is what always drives me crazy. People will say, okay, Paul commands wives only to submit to husbands. He never says husbands submit to wives under their interpretation of this passage. Okay. If that's true, I could also point out that in Ephesians five, Paul commands uh, men to love their wives, but there's no reciprocal command for wives to love their husbands. So either wives are also commanded to love their husbands, which of course we know they are. And both of those commands are reciprocal or neither is reciprocal. It's we've got to be consistent in how we interpret the passage. Okay. So listen, he is saying, yes, men, sometimes you will submit to your wives. Another question that often gets asked is like, what about authority? It's all, you know, everybody's like so many men in particular, just consumed and concerned with authority in relationships. Um, so let's say, doesn't the new Testament teach that women are supposed to be under a man's authority? Haven't you seen the umbrella graphic, Dan? It's like, God and then Jesus and then man and then wife and then kids and then whatever, right? Haven't you seen that? We addressed this last week. So if you weren't here, if you didn't hear the whole message I preached about what the New Testament means when it says that man is the head of the woman, please go to YouTube, watch that video. You'll get some more context. But hear me, there is one time, one time only in the New Testament in which the word authority is used in the context of a husband and a wife. One time. 
And in that verse, it's first Corinthians chapter number seven, verse four. This is what the scripture says. It says the wife gives authority over herself to her husband. So if we stop right there, which is where a lot of Christians have stopped over the years, they've said, see, you've given up all your rights, ladies. We are the boss. We're in charge. But the sentence isn't over. He says the wife gives authority over herself to her husband and the husband gives authority over himself to his wife. So in a Christian marriage, who has the authority? Both. Or neither. It's really God. <laughs> Sometimes the husband will make a call and the wife will submit. Sometimes the wife will make a call and the husband will submit because marital satisfaction is found in mutual submission. The way that I've often phrased this, I think I even said it in your counseling, um, premarital counseling that we did before you guys got married recently. Congratulations. Um, we, we talk about the fact that marriage is the permanent exchange of me for we. Marriage is the permanent exchange of me for we. We don't think about, I don't think about me anymore. There is no me. There's only a we. I can't make a decision that doesn't impact her. She can't make a decision that doesn't impact me. There is no me anymore. There's a we. That's why Jesus said, a man will leave his father and mother. He'll cleave. He'll join to his wife and the two will become one. Yeah. Not the two will share a house <laughs> and maybe a bank account and they'll make some cute babies. No, the two become one. They are an indivisible one. What God has joined together, let no one separate. Meaning nobody can separate it. Like God has done something truly spiritual between a husband and a wife. There is no me anymore. There's only a we. If, if, if you, listen, one of the things that drives me crazy about our modern like philosophy of romance today, okay, is that there's always this voice, there's always a chapter in the book, there's always a YouTube video, and it says, now whatever you do, ladies in particular, whatever you do, don't lose yourself in this relationship. Don't lose yourself. Oh, make sure you, you save a piece of yourself. Don't give it all, because when it inevitably ends, you still wanna be you. That is terrible advice. Listen, if you're not willing to lose yourself, don't get married. If you're not willing to lose yourself, don't have kids. If you're not willing to lose yourself, don't become a Christian. Because in order to do any of those things, you have to deny yourself. You have to die to yourself. You have to submit to the needs and the desires of somebody else. You have to die so that they can live. That's part and parcel of what any of this means. So yeah, you got to lose yourself. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 5.28, he says, you know, a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. He's like, it's, you can't divide the two. It's not you versus her, her versus you. You're one and the same. Okay, last objection that comes up and I'm done. It's often this, but can't this go too far, Dan? Like, am I supposed to submit to my spouse when they are unfaithful or abusive to me? Uh, I believe that the New Testament takes very seriously the plight of abused people. And men can be abused just like women. And I think in any circumstance in which abuse is happening, and I mean all forms of abuse, so that's, you know, verbal, it's emotional, it's physical, sexual, spiritual abuse can happen in a marriage. In any of those cases in which abuse is happening, no, you are 
are not under an obligation to submit, okay? Um, in fact, I believe God places safety over uh, scripture even in this point, or not over scripture, I shouldn't say it that way, but safety over submission is really the right way that, that I should phrase it. And if your spouse is unfaithful to you, th- then Jesus gives you the freedom to choose what you want to do in that circumstance. You can choose to try to reconcile. You can choose to move on. The ball is in your court. You're free by the word and command of Jesus. But very often... Marriages will not have these extreme sorts of circumstances. And instead, a husband and wife will show up in counseling and they'll say, well, here's the problem. I've been submitting. He has not. I've been submitting. She has not. Okay. This is counseling 101. This is going to be the first thing I tell you. It's going to be the first thing anybody tells you. You cannot control what somebody else does. You can't control it. You're only responsible for you. So if you start to frame this as, well, I'm doing my part, they're not doing their part, so I don't have to do my part anymore, you're just going to end up retreating further and further away from each other. You're going to have to choose to submit and surrender, sometimes even when your partner doesn't deserve it, frankly. There are times Amber will submit herself to me, and I do not deserve it. I didn't earn it. But remember, she's not submitting or surrendering because I'm a good guy. I'm not submitting and surrendering because she's a perfect wife. No, we do it out of our love for Christ. The scripture says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't say, well, when they submit to me, then I can offer my death on their behalf, I guess. No, he made the first move. And if you're in a marriage and you have any hope of saving it at all, then you got to start with submission here and now, both of you. If that's a problem or you need help, talk to somebody, get a counselor, come see a pastor. I can recommend some people outside of the church, whatever it takes. Marital satisfaction is going to be found in mutual submission. So my challenge to you this week is this, if you're married, can you find a way to submit to your spouse? I know, I know. (laughs) Can you find a way to say no to you and yes to them? Can you find a way to elevate them? Can you find a way to defer or yield to them so that they can experience God's best? Now you say, I'm not married. So how do I apply this? Well, everybody submits to everybody in the Christian world. So can you look for ways to submit this week? Can you submit to your small group leader? Can you submit to what God's been telling you to do and you've been fighting for a really long time? Can you submit to your brother or sister in Christ? Can you deny yourself so that others might live in Jesus? This is what God is calling us to do. If you didn't know that's what it meant to be a Christian, you've got a decision to make. You're gonna deny yourself and die daily or you're gonna choose to walk away and live your own life. But the choice is yours. I believe the most beautiful picture is the one in which we all, Submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. God help us. Submission doesn't come naturally to me or anybody else. My sinful nature wants to stand up and fight, fight for my rights, fight for what I want. So God, I'm praying that you would help me to say no to me so I can say yes to the people of this church. So I can say yes to the people of our community that are in need. So I can say yes to my wife. I can say yes to the rest of my family. God help me to put others ahead of myself most importantly, help me to put you ahead of myself. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. 